Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies. And today we're doing another DevMode stand-up that we stream live on YouTube. So if you ever want to catch it live, ask some questions, see us on video, you're welcome to join us. Subscribe to the at devmode.fm Twitter handle and we'll tweet out whenever we're doing that. And away we go. And today, as always, I'm joined by the one, the only, the beater of Speedwalkers, Ryan Ireland. How you doing, Ryan? <laughs> Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm doing awesome. We're having some video problems with you, but your audio is fantastic. Well, I was going to say my voice are better than my looks, but I think that's probably debatable as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be back. Well, you've heard of a face made for radio, right? Yeah. And I guess yeah, there's yeah. A, vo- a voice made for literature or something. I don't know. A voice made for silent movies. <laughs> Whatever That's I great. have, it's, well, all of, it's all of them. This is what I have. Well, speaking of speedwalking, mm-hmm. I want to talk Olympics. Have you been watching the Olympics at all? Uh, not in the last week, but I did watch a lot of swimming, which was extremely stressful to watch. And like, I'm stressful. I, How was it stressful? You weren't in the pool. What are you talking about? No, because it's like, I don't know. You just, you, you just see, sometimes it's just so close. And you're just like, oh. Like, yeah. And you know, especially on the longer distance swimming, you know, that these people can barely catch their breath when they're done. And these are the most highly trained swimmers in the world, you know, in these finals. So I always think it's amazing. But I also think swimming endurance when you're, those aren't really endurance events, but like that type of swimming, I always think is amazing because I think it's difficult. Like I, I'll get in the pool and do a couple laps of freestyle and be ready to take a nap. Meanwhile, I'll go run, you know, 10 miles and then continue about my day. But because I think swimming is just way, way harder. And my daughter swims and she's, I think she's actually really good. She's definitely better than me. And uh, a couple laps of freestyle. All I do, Ryan, I cannonball into the pool and, <laughs> and then I swim there. over <laughs> <laughs> no, I swim over to one of those little, you know, things that you can lay on and I just lay on it. Right. But usually that doesn't last very long because the kids come over and harass me and their favorite thing to do is to flip me over in the pool and do all that kind of fun stuff, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I, yeah. we've been watching the Olympics a lot too. Me more than anyone else, I think. But as mm-hmm. a family, people have sort of been drawn in and been watching it. And I don't know what it is, man. I just find it amazing. Some of these feats that people are able to do. Like I get, I get really inspired when I watch this, when I see these people that have clearly dedicated a huge chunk of their life to getting good at one thing, you know, and that one thing could be just like the the guy that has a, a shot put. So he's got a, a 16 pound ball that he just throws as far as he can. You know what I mean? Yep. To that point that other than the elite of the elite, the people that that return to the Olympics multiple times, for most people that go to the Olympics, that is the, the high point of their career. It is everything they've been working towards typically since yeah. they were a kid. And the I can't imagine the amount of pressure that they have to either to win or just perform to meet whatever their expectation was. I saw a a runner in a track event fall and and it was basically that was his shot at running in the Olympics and he couldn't even Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and that's done. And I don't know I don't know anything in my life that is that is really like that. Like if I write some crappy code, I have the opportunity to go back and fix that and redeploy it. So um, I, that's what I'm always amazed about. And it's also the years and sometimes decades long dedication to in pursuit of one thing um, yep. is, uh, you know, it's admirable. I don't know if it's entirely healthy that if everybody did that, but, but I still sure. think it's 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 a fascinating example of being truly dedicated and working like deeply and carefully at one thing over and over and over. And it's just fun to see what people can do, right? So uh, yeah. we, we'll be watching the platform diving, you know? Oh, yeah. And I'll be putting myself in that spot. And I'll be like, <laughs> you know, on the first rotation, I'm probably vomiting. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm probably vomiting. My my limbs are probably flailing off in all directions. And I am probably have this horrified look. On, you know what I mean? Like, it's just... You yeah. look at what they're doing and you're like, holy crap, like that is amazing. Like there's a 14 year old Chinese lady. Uh, what, oh God, what's her name? Uh, Chen Chen Si or something like that. I, I forget mm-hmm. the, her name exactly, but my wife <laughs> corrected my pronunciation. So <laughs> but even if I got it wrong, I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong. <laughs> but man, she scored on a couple of dives. She got seven tens. Like every judge gave her a 10 out of 10 and she <laughs> smashed the Olympic record for scores in that sport. And she's 14, Ryan, 14. Yeah. yeah. Which means if if she's able to stay on top of her, her craft, she, she could be in, let's see, 18, 22, two, three, four Olympics, you know, depending. Yeah. Like, I don't know what the ages are there, but. And I want to relate this to development because I was also looking at it and I was like, you know what? 
there are probably as many different sports in the Olympics as there are, you know, <laughs> frameworks or that you can use to build a website. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're all competing for a gold medal. They're all trying to do their thing and, and when they're but you don't see the the shot put guy being like, you know what? I feel terrible about myself because I don't know how to do the uh, platform diving. Yeah. But you see that in development where you'll have a developer who maybe, maybe, okay, let's say they do craft sites or whatever. And then they'll kind of be looking enviously over at a React developer that does what they do. And it's like, no, man, it's okay. Like you, you can stay in your lane and you can do your thing. Like there's nothing right. wrong with that. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good point. Although the, and I don't think it makes anyone better than the other or anyone just because something new is newer. You know, sure, it may be more advanced, but it may or may not be the best or the greatest way to do it, right? Right. I will say, though, that I feel like that we have more freedom for lateral movement than maybe you would in, like, athletics, like, at the... where like For some. It, for some. Yeah. I guess it, it depends just, on what it is. Like, they were interviewing the woman from the United States team that won the beach volleyball, or one of the pair, mm-hmm. and she was originally a soccer player. Oh. And she went, and then she, her dad sent her to, like, a volleyball training camp, and she's like, I hate it. I don't want to do this anymore. And he's like, well, look, we signed you up. You're staying there for two months. We'll reevaluate then. And then next thing you know, she's getting a gold medal for it. I think you're right. Like, there are some sports that there is less. But she still hates less, her dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, hopefully she she's over it and she likes him now. Yeah. But there are some sports where I think there is lateral movement. Obviously, you you gain sort of that general athleticism, right? That you can translate from one to the other. But I I think you're right. There probably is a little bit less lateral movement in that you know you can be in, in really great shape as a soccer player, but it's going to take a lot of training before you can do platform diving. But, but there but are people the that athleticism are just natural. And the, yeah, those yeah. Guys, yeah, there are people that are just they're natural athletes and they're just good at everything that they try. And you see that a lot in a college sports. You'll see people that play both football and basketball and yep. can be on the varsity teams of both just because they're just natural athletes. And the training and the discipline that you get out of having to get really good at something athletically mm-hmm. will translate even if you're doing a different thing because you're used to it. You're used to sucking in the beginning mm-hmm. and grinding it out and practicing and getting better and being able to do it. And you've built up that general athleticism that kind of translates along the way. And I think that's something that we can keep in mind for development too, in that you're getting good at developing in general and you can move laterally from one environment to another more easily than you think you can, more easily than an Olympic athlete can. So just keep that in mind. You know, you, you are not a X developer. Don't pigeonhole yourself as I only do this, you know? Right, right. If you're, if right now the only thing you do is write make files all day long for a living, then you might. <laughs> hey, don't consult me. <laughs> don't get, don't get this personal talking about my make files. And uh, <laughs> Matt Wilcox says, my day is finally over. Cheese and port evening are inbound. I mean, I'm, oh. I'm exceedingly jealous about this right now. What kind of cheese? I'm curious what kind of cheese he's <sighs> he's going to be. If eating. I lived anywhere near him, I swear to God, I would go over there and I would raid his cheese and and port supply. I'd be all so over if, that. If his workday is over, he and, must. And be then I would critically the watch the Olympics and and criticize people for doing terribly while I'm eating my cheese and <laughs> drinking my port. <laughs> so I assume I assume Matt's in the UK. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. And then, so I don't really know much about cheese taste over there other than what I learned from Wallace and Gromit. That's basically my stupid yeah. American. Well, I'm sure it's accurate. If you learned if you learned about a country from a cartoon, I'm sure it's right. right? That's we about might it. as well just go with whatever stereotype that you have. Yeah. But okay, this is where, this where and I realize that this is, people are going to, you know, not, not going to like this, but we were watching the Olympic channel the other day. Mm-hmm. And what was on there was speed walking, Ryan. I oh, think yeah. that's what they call it. Speed walking. Yeah. I'm, I'm having a hard time getting behind speed walking. And I, I, you know, I see it every four years and I'm still having a hard time getting behind speed walking. I know it's a sport. I know everyone out there is just like, Andrew, you're fat ass. Couldn't do it. it was early. I, I get it. I understand. But I think that they look silly. What do you well, think? I mean, every four years, the internet is flooded with searches on speed walking rules because everyone wants to know what are the rules? Yeah. Like, why is this so, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's so, why is it even in like an Olympic event? And yes. I think that's, yes. to me, that's like the fascinating part about it is there's probably a set of rules that are not easy to follow and then also be fast. I'm and sure. I mean, I don't know. Like with, with speed I just, walking, it's, I think you always have to have at least one foot on the ground at a time. And I know no. that sounds, that sounds strange, but if you ever watched, if you, if you, step frame by frame through a elite track race or even a marathon, you'll see that they're, they have both feet off of the ground at the same time. Most of the time. Yeah. 
Andrea um, says the Ministry of Silly Walks. That's exactly what I think of whenever I see it. That stupid Monty Python skit where they're walking as weirdly as they can. I don't know, man. I, I guess it's the thing about a sport where you are limited in terms of how fast you can go. It just seems weird to me. It would be like if they had a, a shot put, but you're only allowed to throw it so far or something. like. I don't know. Well, I mean, I mean think, about, well, think about like the hurdles, though. Oh, yeah. Let's have a race on the track where we put a metal object or a series of metal objects in front of the person they have to jump over i mean you could that's argue a useful that that's, skill though <laughs> well i mean yeah maybe but so is walking fast did you ever play donkey kong as a kid yes yeah but, well mario needed to be able to jump over them barrels you know what i'm saying have you ever come upon a black bear in the woods and you know that you're not supposed to run from a bear so you can speed walk it's a it's a good skill. That's I'll, my story. I'll stop griping about it. It always just strikes me as a little bit weird. I don't know. But I've been enjoying the heck out of the Olympics. I really have, I love it whenever they, they come around and I get to watch them. They're doing things that, you know, I'm washed, Ryan. Like, it's way past my time to be able to do anything yeah. like this. This is never going to happen. But I still get very inspired by watching it. And seeing the, the things that other people are able to do, I think is incredible. I think yeah. it's really cool. I love it. I, I love watching it. I enjoy it. a lot uh, watching the, the running, the track competitions. And then I don't actually, I should know this, but the marathon is also fascinating to me. Yeah. I was actually going to look up and see. see now that's that. something you could actually participate in potentially, right? Like you've oh. got a shot at that sport, potentially of participating if you wanted to. Oh, it already happened. Andrea is saying that hurdles, for, for instance, could be useful for dodging obstacles while evading predators, all that kind of stuff. But you ain't going to do no speed walk away from no predator. Okay. Yeah. You're going to you're going to flat out run, man. No, you're not supposed to, because then you then like think about if you have a like a mountain lion, you know, encounter. You're not you're not supposed to run because at that point you're you're challenging that that mountain lion to chase you down. Ryan, you live in Austin, you, Texas. We have mountain lions. The only the only mountain lion you've seen works at Starbucks. I mean, for God's sakes, this is ridiculous. And anyway, anyway, I I my point in all of this is that I get inspired by this. I get inspired to try and do things. I, I get inspired. Like, if they can do this, maybe I can do something cool. You know, I, I I get that. And I just enjoy watching them compete. So every time it comes around, I've really enjoyed it. And then there's also that allegory that I try to keep in my mind of, you know, this he, these are all elite athletes and we are all developers of one form or another. But there is the possibility for us to do different things. You know, we yeah. can we can either get really good at one thing. Or we could do the decathlon and do a whole bunch of different things. And I don't know. I just saw some some allegories there. But I want to I want to shift if I could to sure. talk about you, Ryan. Oh, all right. Wow. Okay. So my understanding is that mm-hmm. you have been doing sort of a little bit of renovation on your baby, which is Craft Quest. Why don't you tell us about what you've been doing? Yeah. Uh, so I basically have been taking a beating for the last six months or a year from you on getting that converted over to a <clears throat> to a docker setup and with a modern build chain. And I finally realized that I needed to actually, for, for what I wanted to do with that project going forward, I actually, I didn't need to do that. So I, I, I figured it out in my own time. But yeah, so I'm converting the whole project over to, it's using your starter project with Vite, and I'm basically spun up a new project for that, and I'm just migrating over uh, all of my stuff into that. So I'm basically, I'm probably like 75% of the way there without all of the optimizations that I want to do. I could do a ton of front-end template changes and refactoring. I'm doing some, but I'm pushing some off till later because the project can't take a year. It has to be done quicker than that. Because it's it's blocking me from, and by that I mean there's all sorts of new features I want to build that would be better built using something like Vue, and so I want to, and I'm already using Tailwind, so but I want to get all of that done, so I just have a, a smoother path forward in in working on those new features. So it's been interesting to do that. I'm trying to resist re- doing a lot of refactoring along the way, but I'm doing a little bit as I'm going. But all right, so I got to take issue with you first of all, Ryan, about okay. a beating. Really, even. <laughs> Given well, a beating mean, for no, I, I mostly <clears throat> the way it seems is I've kind of more played therapist where you've been <laughs> you lay down on the couch and you complain about this, that, or the other thing, and I'm like, well, yeah, you know, a way out of this might be doing something positive and productive in terms of you know, yeah, renovating and, and doing this might be an easier thing to do. You, you make it sound like you have been cudgeled, and I, I think that well, that's hurtful, right? Yeah, uh, I'm pretty stubborn and I, <laughs> I tried. 
all different ways to get around having to completely like restructure my project um, because it is like a it is a a project that's in production with paying customers that generate the revenue that feeds the income that supports yeah. me and my family. So like, I, I can't just kind of just do this thing that could potentially have all sorts of like a domino effect of, of problems. Now, but this was I, my idea a long time ago. No, the inspiration no, was. was from Bob Vila. We could this do old this site. old house. Yeah. And we could yeah, do yeah. this old site where you can record the renovation of an old site, which is, is something that everybody, everybody has either mm -hmm. their client, their own site, their agency site, their personal site, their client site, something that needs to be modernized where you got to update the infrastructure before. You, so you have something solid that you can build on. Yeah. I think people would love to see it as well as it improving your stuff. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah, totally. And I, I, I need to record it. I still am just kind of cranking away on it in the evenings and weekends, which is kind of funny mm. since it's what I do full time. But uh <laughs> But I mean, it's like when even when you do something full time, you still have to you have to allocate your time appropriately yeah. to, to different things. Uh, well, how's it been going? Like, what do you? Well, it, what no, do you it's do? actually well, okay. been really. So it's it was easier than I thought once I wrap my head around the framework of the whole thing, like just yeah. the pieces, because it's not a you know it's not a a project organization that I came up with. So I have to kind of understand how it all works. So it's once I did that and kind of realigned my thinking for how to approach it, then it it hasn't been that bad at all. I think that the the thing, the, the reason that I put it off for so long, because I, I have a hard time doing things for the, the sake of doing them, like doing them. And I think that's where you and I differ a little bit, where I didn't want to switch to this tool just because it's a good tool to use. I wanted to switch when it actually would give me some like real benefit. And what I realized- That's what I was going to ask you. What are your reasons? Like, what are your- So, well, I was- um, you know, like right next to me here is my whiteboard and I was planning out features and things I want to do on the site or on, you know, on the product. And then I realized, yeah. oh, this is where the best tool to implement this would be view. And then it's like, right. okay, I need, if I'm going to go down that path, I'm not going to start doing any of that until I actually have a modern build tool set up to, to, right. to, to work with that. And then that's when I realized like, okay, I can't get to that point until I fix this thing. And so that's, so I was then, that was then a roadblock. So I was like, now I got to switch. And that was it. And Andrea is saying made a work baby. And yeah, sometimes you got to do the made a work to do the yep. beta work, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's just, it's so sort of, you know, ingrained in how I work, which is, I like to get things out and, and ship things. And then when I'm presented with a roadblock, then I address it and fix it. And it's, it's not always the best way, but it's a, a way to be able to MVP things and then iterate and get things out in front of people. And that's just kind of how I do things, but it's going well. And I have to say that the, cause I know you're waiting for your praise. The, uh, no, 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 no the, lies. The, it's it's actually a really good tool and the the setup is is really really nice it it always surprises me how well how well it works and uh, it does um, <laughs> that that sounds like a dig <laughs> no 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 not because it's something that you created just like people don't use i mean i know some people use tools for no other reason than that it exists but like something like this like it actually provides a lot of value and it makes developing way faster. Yeah. So it's been really nice. So I, I really like it. I think that the, like what you've built with the, with the, the V branch specifically, I haven't worked in the Webpack one. I assume it's the same structure, just a different build tool. Yeah. That's the whole point of how I did it is everything is exactly the same. Yeah. You just have a different build chain directory. So that's yeah. the whole point of making it modular like that. You can just yeah. swap one in and out. Yeah. yeah, it's really nice. I'm really I'm looking forward to the time when I can deploy it. and ideally the it should be a seamless. I mean, there might be a little a little wrangling here and there, but it should be pretty straightforward if it's because if it's working locally for me, it, it should be fine once I deploy it. And that's another thing, right? It's it's changing my project structure. So there's yeah. a little and that was always my pushback to you. It's like, I don't want to change my project structure because then it impacts everything upstream on my staging environment and my production environment. And I don't got time for that. Like I'm, you know, I got. Yeah, you were, you were hung up on that. You're like, oh, well, I like it, but it, it, it moves my directories around. It's not. Only, so it's, <laughs> I mean, it's not about that. I'm not like precious about that. It's it's that it there's the potential for the for the site to to have problems and like yes. I can't like I have people that pay money every year every every month to have access to the content and I I 
I take that seriously. So I try to protect um, the and site. Believe from it or that. not, Ryan, I do the same thing. I do the same thing. So I, I, yeah. I use Vite on some projects. But for instance, some of my existing plugins have a Webpack 5 build setup that I use to build it. Right. And they're doing enough complicated JavaScript that I actually get the benefit from using that tooling. And I was tempted to move it over to Vite, but I'm just like, you know what? That's just ridiculous. You know, yeah. and it goes to what Matt Wilcox just said, which is there are benefits to leaving what works as is. Right. Until there are reasons to, to move on. And I, I agree with that. So that's, and maybe everyone has a different threshold in terms of where that is, right? <laughs> but I totally agree with that, man. Like I, I looked at this and I'm like, you know what? Part of me would love to have this stuff running on Veep, but there's no big gain for me for doing that. So why right. would I do that? You and know? you've been you've been doing some converting of existing stuff over to build chain setup like V and Webpack with the the new Craft CMOS came out with the new demo projects. Yep. And you've been yep. working on those. What what have you been what have you been doing there? Give him, I guess. <sighs> Go ahead. No, I mean, I, Go I don't there, know. If, Ryan. I don't... Go there, Ryan. <laughs> you got that look on your face like you're about to hit me with something. So go there. I can never tell if you're just trolling or if like, or if you just want to have the, those projects up and running in the new build tools. But anyway, but what's your, what's, what's trolling. your goal? With that? I think it's cool. I think it's cool because it's another example of you basically creating something and, and basically just offering it up to everyone to use. Try, okay, so I'm curious now. See, how would it I be ended a troll? with a compliment would, and you weren't expecting it. I, I did, I'm, I'm shocked. But how would it be a troll? This is very, I'm curious what your, what your take on this. How would it be a troll? <laughs> Explain that to me. I seriously, I don't understand. Well, because it's not a, it's, it's a, you know, I think you're very opinionated in terms of like using hand-rolled single project Docker setups and not, you know, other tools. Um, I don't think it's really that because... I do. I really do believe that Docker is an an important and useful thing to learn. But I also really believe that lots of people just should never have to learn it. Right. I firmly believe that a lot of people that are doing front end development should never have to learn Docker. And there should be. And there there already are people are already working on layers to make that easier. There should be ways that the average person who wants to do front end web development doesn't have to spend days getting a Docker set up working or just right or or even understand Docker at all. Right. right. And that's actually kind of part of the point in making projects like this is to show people you don't have to know anything about Docker in order yeah. to use this thing. Right. right? So the, the impetus for doing it actually was that the, the sites came out from Pixel and Tonic, and I think it's amazing that they ended up releasing it. And mm -hmm. we were on a, one of the chats that Andrea runs on Twitter, the Twitter Spaces chat, and she was talking about the difficulties that she was having getting it up and running because she wanted these things up and running locally. And, I, and Brandon Kelly was on there too. And I said, oh, well, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do something with it, you know? And I was kind of joking uh, at the time. <laughs> And then uh, Andrea was was asking me more about it. And then a couple other people were having issues getting stuff up and running. I'm like, you know what? Let me just try it. So, you know, let, I've done these kinds of conversions before. Let's see what it ends up taking in order to do this. And it really wasn't bad. And so the benefit of it, I think, is that there's an example where there's a before and an after, right? So you can look at what the project from Pixel and Tonic was, and then you can look at what I transformed it into in order to make this thing work. But more importantly, I think, is that you can get this up and running locally so easily. Like you pull the repo down and you type make dev and you're done. Like you don't have to do anything. There's no setup. There's no yeah. questionnaire. There's no configuration. There's nothing. Like you just do that and it works. And I think that this is a very powerful way to package up prefab sites. So for instance, I don't know if anyone remembers, but a number of years ago, Brandon Kelly did a some kind of a, a workshop at one of the .all conferences. And a huge chunk of the conference time was spent getting everyone's local development and environment set up and working properly. Yeah. So just so that the conference could happen, yeah. right? Because some people were on valet and this is pre-Nitro, so no one was using that. But some people were using Homestead, some people had nothing set up, and it was just a huge chunk of what they were doing was spending time getting everything worked out there. And this is where a containerized setup is so wonderful because the someone that knows how to build the setup can shrink wrap the project with just the DevOps that it needs. And then everyone can consume it and they have to know nothing about it, Ryan. They right. have to know nothing about it. They just need Docker installed, type make dev or whatever command you end up doing, and it's up and running. And I thought that that was really compelling 
for things like that, for like a demo site where you want someone to be able to run it and you don't want them to get hung up in the nonsense of having to get it up and running. Yeah. And I also had a conversation with Ben Croker about this. He's doing a presentation at, at Dot All on web performance. And I'm like, man, you should totally just take your example and containerize it so that you just do, you have people do two steps, get clone, make dev, done. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And then you can spend the session and you ever have that when you're talking to someone and you know, or you, you firmly believe that what you're telling them is a good idea, but you know, they're not going to do it at all. Like they're just <laughs> never going to do it. That's probably why your conversations well, with me is how you feel. <laughs> I don't know. But I was talking to Ben and he, you know, Ben is, um, he's a very nice, cordial person. And so he was, he was, you know, he's, he's agreeing this, that, and the other thing. But the whole time I was talking to him about it, I'm like, he's not going to do it. He's just never going to do it. And I, I even offered, I'm like, I will do it for you, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I will do it, and, and but he, he's not going to do it. I know he's not going to do it. And it may not be even, even if he thinks he, it's a good idea, I think he might not do it just because Pixel and Tonic is probably going to want people to use Nitro to get stuff mm -hmm. up and running, which, you know, is what it is. But so, yeah, I spent time on getting those things up and running so that people could, people who had issues getting the demo running could do that. They could easily just get it up and running. And... <laughs> <laughs> ben Croker says, never say never. I don't know, Ben. I'm pretty sure. I'm I'm good with it. I'm I'm totally You're challenging good with it. him now. No, it's fine. Like I it totally makes sense. Like if you don't want to do it, don't do it. I get it. I just think it would be it would save a lot of time, I think. Um, yeah. I realize it's not on, it's not maybe not on brand, but it's going to let you focus on the conf the conference and what you're doing. But anyway, anyway, the point is that people can pull these things down and they can spin it up easily, right? So it's great no matter what environment they're used to running it in, they can do that. And the other thing is that it lets people see. So for instance, one was coming, the original Spoken Chain was using a, a Webpack 4 config that was very similar to the one I published a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And... I modernized that to use Vite. And so people can see what the transition looks like coming from Webpack to Vite. And it's amazing. Like it goes from like all of these config files everywhere to this one little config file and everything yeah. works. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's and it, cool. it lets people try that at, try Vite out with the hot module reloading and all that kind of stuff. And then I just converted over the Europa site, which I wasn't. The commerce I, I site, probably, right? Europa is not the commerce. It's oh, their it's, marketing site. It's their marketing site. That's right. Yeah. And originally I started converting that over to Vite, but I actually ran into some problems. And it made me realize when I would choose Webpack and when I would choose Vite, which is something that a number of people have asked me about. Mm -hmm. For most new projects, I think I would probably choose Vite if I was choosing to work on them. And you can have a nice opportunity to modernize them. Like you ran into that with what you were doing. Tell everyone about what you ran into with, with Axios and your conversion over. Oh, oh yeah. So you know more about this than I do. So correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the standard Axios package from NPM does not support is it is it it's not an ES6 module is that what it is like yeah you, and then it's not so an it, ES module an ES module so it wouldn't work and then you had to get another one like use a different one and then and that's when I think you said it I was thinking at the same time I was like okay this to me just in my experience this is a sign of you maybe need to rethink the approach because now like yep. now I'm kind of going down a side game trail when I should be staying on the main trail. And yep. and so of course, duh, like why don't I just use fetch? And then that requires zero packages. And so that's there you go. that's what I ended up doing. And it ended up being in the in a, a, a video lesson that I released this week, which that code runs on the site too on CraftQuest, but that I just end up using fetch and it, it's actually a, a way better approach. Keeps things simple, keeps things native rather than dealing with all this extra package. But yeah, so there was some there were some trade-offs there. So I could see if I had a ton of packages that I was dealing with and they they weren't capable of working with something like Vite, then there's probably gonna be some refactoring that ought to happen. But fortunately yeah. I wasn't doing anything that sophisticated. So I other than that, I think I have a, a clear road ahead of me. And it's funny because Axios is and, and so Andrea is saying that she just got the Europa Museum up and running, nice. which is fantastic. I'm, yeah. I'm glad that that was easy for you to get up and running. It's funny because Axios is such a popular little library, but it's actually kind of antiquated in that. Totally antiquated. It's it's a common JS is, is the way that it's written. And it basically the, the long and the short of this is once upon a time there was JavaScript and there was no <laughs> importing of other scripts or any kind of nonsense like that. Right. Then along came Node and Node established its own mechanism for importing other JavaScripts called common JS. And it has a different way that it exports things and a different way that it imports things. And then 
it took years before the browsers kind of standardized on ESM, which is the ES module loader spec and how they, that's going to work from an import-export perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And Vite is intentionally trying to push the ecosystem forward into modernizing things so that everything is using the ESM standard. Right. So you're going to have a much easier time using Vite if the JavaScript that you're using is modern and the packages that you're using are modern. And that's an intentional choice. Mm -hmm. There are ways around that. There's a a common JS plugin that you can use with it so that you can shim things and you can bring in older things. The recommendations that I got from a number of people in the Vite community around your issue specifically, but then also generally around this problem, is to look at it as an opportunity. And to look at it as an opportunity, not just to modernize the tooling that you're using, but also the code base that you're building it on. So they gave me a number of alternatives that you can use instead of Axios, one of which is just the, the Fetch API. Like you can totally just do that. <laughs> just use Fetch. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's, I know, I know the, reason people, the reason people didn't use it prior is because it wasn't widely supported, but I'm pretty sure it is. My market for people that come to my site is different than just, you know, Right, general general audience. If stuff. anyone's coming to your site on IE eleven, like God help them, you know yeah, what I mean. Although like, maybe maybe they're they're the people that need to be there. But it reminds me, so <laughs> like I could have I I could have said, all right, I'm just going to use this other Axios package that's going to yep. let me keep using Axios, and I'm just going to kind of do this like interim solution to kind of get me there. And it reminds me of, I put this in the notes of this essay that I read this morning. I've been having like back issues. So I was laying on the floor behind me on my yoga mat reading this morning to try to relax my back. But there's this, have you ever heard of this book, Andrew, called 97 Things Every Programmer Should Know? It's from O'Reilly. I'm sure you know all of the things in here, but it's a series of essays. I doubt it. (laughs) It's a series of essays. But anyway, but there's this one called The Longevity of Interim Solutions. And it really struck me because I feel like I deal with this a lot when I'm uh, working on my own projects, which is that I'm going to create an interim solution for something because there's an immediate problem that I need to solve. And I'm going to drop that in. And we see that not just in our own project, we see it in client work, especially because typically you're you're limited by time and budget. And so you can't build X, Y, and Z thing the ideal way if if you, there was no constraints because you have constraints. But the it was interesting take because his the essay was just about coming to terms with interim solutions and just understanding them just rationally rather than in a in a judgmental way, which is that we all create interim solutions as we're working through stuff and we just have to see them for what they are. There's an immediate problem that you have to solve and, and we're trying to to solve that. They typically the reason they're considered interim is because they don't they don't typically adhere to some standard that the project has. Like in in my case with that package, like it it basically adds additional complexity where I'm at, in the process of trying to simplify how I do things. Um, uh, ben Croker says that that was a very good, if long-winded, explanation. Uh, Ryan, I think that's what he said. Maybe I maybe he's I talking about you. Quote. Probably, surely he didn't. Yeah, say pro- it. probably, <laughs> probably is talking about me. But no, and it, I agree with that. Like, look, I mean. You know, if you want to get metaphysical about it, Ryan, we're all interim solutions. Like you and we, I are an interim solution on this planet. You know what I'm saying? We're <laughs> the inter- interim solution to the f- the future carbon in back into the earth. So, but yeah, but the, I, I guess it was interesting to me because if you've ever worked on a team or you've worked on a project, you've picked up a project that someone else worked on and you see that there's a series of interim solutions that people did, like the, the initial response is always to be judgmental and say, oh, like, why did they do it that way? You know, they obviously didn't do it the proper way, but people were always working within a set of constraints. And, but and the reason ben that- Ben is clarifying he was talking about the book. Oh. <laughs> we know, Ben. I'm just messing around. Um, Go ahead, Ryan. But anyway, but the the idea is that they an interim solution isn't doesn't the reason that that interim solutions exist is because they actually transform into being permanent solutions because at some point those interim solutions just gain acceptance like you you do it all the time you you like you're going through your code you're like, oh like I remember when I just kind of like hacked together those three lines to get this thing done but I really should break that out into its own method I should do this I should do that but you slowly start to accept it like it slowly becomes normal and that's why and this is what the author is arguing is that that's why interim solutions are around and that's why we see them so much in our code 
And that's because I, I thought interim solutions were around just because people were lazy or on deadlines. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but I'm talking about why do we never go back and refactor those or do those the proper way is because they've gained acceptance. They be, they've become the accepted way to do things. And you see it enough. I, and you're I think, like, oh. I but think anyway. it goes back to step one, time and money. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, right. But here's the other thing, though, Ryan. Like when we're building websites, we are kind of building temporary housing anyway. You know, I, I mean, these things yeah. tend to get they tend to get bulldozed pretty totally. often. But I think this is actually a good time or a good point that we can circle back to is the idea of meta work. And we've talked about meta work versus actual work and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think where you get the payoff from the meta work is that it's true that every project has budgetary and time constraints, right? So you can't build something perfect, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. But I think when you invest some time into the meta work to where you've got a platform that elevates you and brings you up, I think that you are able to spend more time on the problem that matters and you're able to deliver better, more complete solutions for your clients. I mean, that's that to me is the end goal, right? Yep, I totally agree. And that's kind of what I discovered in working on my own project was that I had to then now put some time into that, that meta work and say, you know, I have to, I have to go do that because it's going to unlock my ability to do these other things. And that's like, I would never do it for this, just for the sake of doing it. I would, it has to unlock something for me, but that's also a different, I also have a a little bit of a different math that I'm, that I'm trying to play out here in that I'm a single person working on this project and I'm the bottleneck for everything. And so I have to be very careful about how my time is being used. And oh, you brought out your wife's pet name for you. That's cute. She calls you my little bottleneck, right? Doesn't she? (laughs) (laughs) Awkward. Sorry, right. Anyway, looks like you're giving giving Docker support here in the chat. Yeah. Anyway, if, if anyone ever wants a good book of essays to read, I, I actually really like it. I know Ben told me that, that he likes it too, but it's 97 Things Every Programmer Should Know. Yeah. I want to say it's kind of old, at least unless the people in here just look dated. 2010. So that's, that's 11 years old. That's, that's uh, I mean, to me, like instantly I was like, oh, that's recent, but that's actually like a lifetime <laughs> Yeah. In the development world, that's a lifetime ago, man. Yeah. But good stuff in here. Good good reads. And uh, so I would recommend that. But that's one that I, that I saw this morning that I thought was interesting. Yeah. But so, and Matt Wilcox is saying that's, uh, you know, I, I think he was commenting on what I was saying about the made work thing. That's why people build their own craft base. And yeah, I mean, that, that's why you do it. And, but that's why we adopt these tools to begin with, right? That the idea is that the payoff is down the road. Right. Now that's always moving. Okay. <laughs> like we're never going to get to Nirvana and you have to decide the balance in terms of where you want that to be in terms of investing in building on the stuff that, that brings you up versus building the actual project. And that's why a lot of people, I, I know that uh, Patrick Harrington and, and Jonathan Melville, they're two people that are on the dev mode show pretty often. They have both move over to Nuxt as mm-hmm. a framework that they're going to use. And they're doing that so that, again, so that it raises the, the tides so that their boat is lifted up in terms of the, the problem that they have to solve. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it totally makes sense. I think you have to be judicious about where you apply your time to do custom things versus leveraging the tools. And then, and for me on my project, it's about, there's plenty of places where I need to apply my time in terms of, I do a lot of integration stuff on the back end that yep. no one sees. And that's where I have to apply my yep. time because it, it it smooths a lot of the bumps in the process there. Whereas I would, the reason I wouldn't, I haven't done any the Docker stuff is because I didn't want to come up with my own setup on my own. It just didn't, it wouldn't provide enough value to yeah, the overall business. And then so, I think that's the case for most people. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I you mentioned earlier that I, I think everyone should be on their own little Docker setup. And I, I don't think that's true. Like, I don't really believe that. I think most people shouldn't learn it and shouldn't need to learn it. Right. But I think that it is true that some people might want to create that so that other people can consume it easily. And there are front end solutions to making it easier to work with Docker. Ddev, I think, is one of the more is one of the best ones, I think, out there. Ddev is D-Dev fantastic. Is nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's very easy to work with. Lando is another one that's very mm-hmm. good and is very easy to work with. And and they're both flexible enough that you'll be able to do all of the stuff that you want to do, like hot module re- replacement and reloading and all that kind of stuff. You know, just something to look at if you're interested in going that route with your 
development environment. So no, I don't think people should should have to learn Docker. I think people should maybe look at what it's like to consume Docker and some of the benefits you can get out of that. But you don't need to know it. I mean, I don't. you don't need to know how your car works to put your ass in it and drive yourself to the grocery store. You know what I mean? Like you, you just shouldn't have to do that for everything. I don't, I don't right. think we could get anywhere if that were the case. Right. But we feel like we have to. That's sort of like some sort of thing that we have to do. We always have to know how everything works. And yeah, I, I run, and I run into problems <laughs> at home with this sometimes with, oh, I'm going to fix that. And yeah. then next thing I know, there's crap everywhere and the thing still doesn't work. And I have two people looking at me like, why did you ruin this? <clears throat> so, yeah, totally. The dead, like the dead tree in my in my front yard that I need to have cut down. I would really would like to cut Listen, that man, down I'm myself. practical about this stuff. I know what I'm good at and other things. I just call people and have them do it for me. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Right. I don't have a problem with that. It doesn't bother me. I don't Same. Know. But I want to talk to you about advertising. Oh, okay. So yeah, I'm going to get specialty. <laughs> I am going to get personal about this. So, do you do any advertising with CraftQuest? As in, do I take ads or do I buy ads? Which one? As in, do you buy ads to promote your stuff? No. Or do you? Or do you do anything to promote your stuff? I use email, social media, and I try to build really good stuff that. People recommend to other people, but no paid advertising. So, what is the reason for that? What have you? Why have you never done, for instance, Twitter ads? So, I, I have um, not for CraftQuest, but for um, my previous training site, okay. yep. I did. But the the return on it wasn't great. And I actually met with somebody several years ago that was recommended to me by I don't remember who recommended, but it, he he's basically like a. Uh, online marketing consultant. And so he basically gets budgets from companies and then figures out where to spend those on online ads and stuff. Yep. And I sat down with him and we had coffee and he kind of walked him through what I was doing. And he basically said, there's a point where, and Twitter and Facebook, they won't ever tell you this, like their consultants will get on the phone with you and teach you how to buy ads on their platform. But they won't ever tell you that you can't spend, at your size, you can't spend enough money because you don't have it to have an impact. To actually get yep. like ROI. So yep. he says, until you're at a certain point, he said, you're yep. basically, I mean, if you feel good, if it makes you feel good to, to spend the money, you can spend <laughs> the money, but you're, you're not really going to get any return. And honestly, yep. even in organic marketing on social media, just not paid, but just posting, yep. the return on that isn't that great either. Email, yep. if you have an email list of people that care about what you're doing and are interested in what you're doing, and at some, if at some point they're not, they'll unsubscribe. Yep. That's the best place to get in touch people with what you're doing. That's how I've had the most success out of any of the channels email for sure. But okay, I don't so do any doing paid advertising. Kidding. I've sponsored, I've done coffee break sponsorship at dot all and stuff like that. But that's that's but, marketing. Yeah. And I've done that. And that's that's yeah. partially about uh, marketing. It's partially about just that I've benefited greatly from craft and from the community and that it's a, a, a bit of giving back. Yeah, sure. But, but yeah, so that's that's it. I think one year in Berlin, I dropped a little lip balm, branded lip balm into everybody's everybody's bag. And people I mean, clearly that's what's causing everyone that. to subscribe to craft. <laughs> that's it. So that's I'm you know, I've always been a product guy mm -hmm. where and it makes sense from my origins, you know, like I think the product is the most important thing. You've got to mm -hmm. build the product. Product's got to be good. The problem is that it this isn't field of dreams. This isn't, you know, if you build it, they will come kind of thing because you often have lots and lots of competitors. Right. Now, the dynamic in the craft market is a little bit different because if you want to do craft development and you want video tutorials, you're li you're literally the only person, right? So, <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, there's some free stuff on YouTube and you know, sure. we stream stuff sometimes, but realistically, you're the one that does it. Andrews just said he still has the lip balm. I feel like somebody might have a hundred of them. I always thought it was Luke, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> God, I hope Andrus comes up to you and puts that lip balm on, gives you a nice little kiss on the cheek. I hope he gives it to you. Anytime, um, Andrus, you're welcome to do that. But I guess my my point is that the the craft market for that, and also for me as a plugin developer. So there are venues that I could be advertising. I think advertising on Twitter for that, I don't know how good that's going to work because one of the bottom lines for advertising is you first think about who you're trying to reach. Like, what is the demo of the person that you're trying to reach? Like, who mm -hmm. are they? What do they do? And you kind of profile them and you figure that out. And then you work your way backwards and figure out how to get a hold of them. And I'm not so sure that the people that make the decisions on plugins 
for Craft CMS are going to necessarily be easy to reach on Twitter in that if I haven't reached them already, because it's right. a small enough market, you know what I mean? It's got to be that subset of people that haven't heard of you already through the other things that you're doing that will now hear of you through advertising. Or maybe they'll, they'll be convinced that you're for real because they see an ad or whatever. Right. But And advertising is ultimately buying access to people. Correct. And, but the end result is you're still, you're still telling someone like what you're doing is telling them about what you have, what you've done, what you can do for them, whatever your message is. And I would say that for sometimes it feels like that paid advertising feels like a shortcut to the ability to communicate, but you still, even if you're not doing paid advertising, you still have to be willing and able and just have the the initiative to share and tell people about what you're doing. If you don't tell people what you're doing, no one's ever going to know. And if you're doing paid ads, you're not always, depending on the platform, you're not always telling the people that care the most. You're telling people that the algorithm says care the most. But if you're, if you have like an, like going back to the email list, if you have an email list, if you tell those people what you've done and what you're working on, what you've created, that's the best way to meet meet whatever your goal is, which is, you know, have a certain amount of downloads, have a certain amount of installs, have a certain amount of subscribers. You have to keep telling people about what you're doing. Because when you're like, let's say a developer of a plugin, to you, the plug that plugin is your world. It is, and you are in the center of that. But to someone in California who's doing client sites, they don't think about your plugin every day. And they don't think about your plugin every hour. They might think about your plugin for three and a half seconds when they come across it. And so you have to constantly let people know about what you're working on because they won't they won't remember it. So anyway, yeah. And again, I think if you don't have to pay to do that to your point about the spend, it's true that if you don't have enough of a spend to make a difference, just save your money like there's no point. But also if the the market that you're pitching to is very likely already heard of you and they're they're small enough. You're yeah. also largely, not entirely, because there is something to be gained from confidence in the brand. And there's a reason why advertisers are just constantly hammering the same thing over and over again. But it's diminishing returns, I think, for someone like a plugin developer. I, I mean, I still think some advertising is okay. I've done some advertising on Craft Linklist back when John Morton was running it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think it can be useful in a product announcement, like if you have a new product to spread the awareness of it, do what you can do. But in a small market, you're kind of paying to advertise to a market that's already saturated in terms of them knowing about you, most likely, you know, if you have promoted yourself well enough. However, I do think that so, for instance, like a plugin developer like me, I think it would probably be neutral at best for most advertisements. It might be positive EV for a new product that has Mm -hmm. been introduced to do it. But I think for an organization like Craft CMS, I think their market is quite broad. There is a huge number of people out there that are potentially considering one environment or another to use for developing stuff. And I'm not saying that they they should do this kind of advertising, but I'm just comparing and com- contrasting that the the number of people out there that potentially could adopt Craft CMS that may not even know about it is huge compared right. to the number of people that are already using Craft CMS that may or may not have heard about one of my plugins or right. your stuff. So the dynamics are, are totally different there. Yep. Yeah. I, I don't want to just blast out paid advertising to people that don't know craft because then then I'm in the business of having to educate them on what craft is and yes and, and all that and that's not really an effective use of my time so I would say instead of paying to advertise take that money convert that into whatever your hourly rate is if you have one and then use that save that money to pay yourself to build something new or work on your product or something like that and build something that people will be interested in. And this goes for agencies too, right? So when I search on anything craft, Mm -hmm. anything craft, I see advertisements for Happy Cock. (laughs) They have all the keywords. (laughs) Like you can search for anything. They they are probably paying a, a pretty penny to get that. Yeah. But for them, it's broad enough that it probably is worthwhile for them to be doing that. And I've seen some other agencies pop up here and there that are doing it. But I think that if you were a freelancer, I don't know that it would make sense for you to do that because to your point, you probably don't have the spend to make it worthwhile to even bother. And then even if you could land, even if you had the spend to do it, the amount of leads that you would get, you would never be able to satisfy if you're just a freelancer. Like, what are you going to do? You know, and and, and to to add a little more color to the happy cog thing, too, the there is a whole 
side half of happy cog that is about paid marketing and stuff that that's yes. like they specialize right. in so they're right. they're already optimized to do those types of ads for themselves so they're you know they're not blowing money like they're being very careful about it although even though it doesn't for sure. seem like it, yeah no 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 for sure i'm not i'm not saying that they are not getting the return i think they absolutely are no no i'm just saying that and they're i think not, if they weren't they wouldn't be doing right it. Yeah. but they also are in the business of doing that exact work for yes. clients so they also know what they're doing where i don't I've sat down and looked at these tools and it just always seemed like a good way of losing $50 at a time. <laughs> well, and, and so I guess the point is that I think there are some cases where you probably would want to be advertising like Pixel and Tonic probably should be and probably are advertising Craft CMS and larger agencies like Happy Cog are advertising and buying keywords and doing all that kind of good stuff. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't necessarily scale both in terms of the people that you're reaching and the the segment that you're reaching and also the amount of money that you can spend. It doesn't mean everybody should be doing it, right? Right, right. Yep. So I, at least for me, my experience has been fairly neutral, the advertising that I've done. And I, you know, you can say, all right, Andrew, you just suck at advertising. And that could, that certainly could be true. <laughs> but in a former life, we worked on products where we did have a big advertising spend and it did make a big impact. And I learned quite a bit about marketing and how to effectively advertise things. I also learned that to some extent, I don't really enjoy that part of the stuff. I enjoy building stuff more than I do marketing it. But anyway, it's just something I want to bring up. And yeah, I, I but, think but that to, to for kind of me, wrap the, to wrap that up, Andrew, it. can I, can I buy an ad on dev mode on the dev mode podcast? Is that possible? No. Oh, currently okay. you cannot buy an ad on the dev no, mode I mean, podcast. me personally, I want to buy one. Am I able to, to, to no. can I sponsor dev mode? Okay. All right, never mind then. Well, I don't know. Maybe we'll we'll talk money. If the money, hey, look, look, man, <laughs> Ryan. If the money's good enough, we can talk. We can make it happen. Okay. <laughs> if it's good, we can make it happen. Well, that about wraps it up for another episode of the DevMode.fm podcast. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe, tell a friend, drop a review. We really appreciate it. Join us here for the live streams. You can ask questions, and we can interact with you a little bit. For the DevMode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch, and I'm Ryan Ireland. All right. We didn't get to half of the things that I had written down, but we got to some of them anyway. Oh, yeah, I, I wanted to talk about, maybe we'll talk about next time, the, the watching our kids learn code. I'm not sure what your experience was, but we should talk about that next time. Yes. You know what we and should I'm do? I'm sure it will be we as should different get, as the kids. Um, we should get the, someone from CodeMonkey, like a founder of CodeMonkey on the podcast. I think that would be kind of I would love to do that. Yeah. They replied to me. Why don't tweet. you make that your first venture in terms of... Uh, Doing work for the podcast and uh, do it. <laughs> Putting in my my work here. Yeah. Put in your work of... for your big money paycheck. Big money. Big money, big money, big money. No whammies. Yeah, sorry about the video. I'm not sure what's going on, but it yeah, is what it matter. is. We're here for the we're here for the conversation, not for the video. It's all good. All right. I don't know. And it may not be